athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. I think very deeply. In about four seconds, a teacher will begin to speak. I think very deeply. Thank you for joining me on another edition of Box to Row. We've got some National Football League talk to get to. Has Aaron Rodgers, first of all, played his last game as a Green Bay Packer and with the Packers' loss to the 49ers, is Aaron Rodgers' legacy affected by that loss? Is it now on the line? If, let's say, Aaron Rodgers were to retire, not play again, has his legacy been affected? We can talk more about that, and we will talk more about that today on Box to Row. We had some great games, as a matter of fact, over the weekend. Was snowed in to some degree, got hit pretty good here in Raleigh, enjoyed all of the games on Saturday, the two on Saturday and the two on Sunday. The most exciting was the Bills and the Chiefs. Should both teams receive possession in the overtime period, I'm going to have more talk about that. For my Washingtonians listening to us on WHBC, HD3, part of the WHUR family, embarrassing loss by the Washington Wizards. Had the Clippers by 35 points on Tuesday, losing to the Clippers. An embarrassing loss. We can talk more about that as well. And you can jump in on the conversation here on Box to Row. Hit me up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Thank you to those listening to us on our great affiliates around the country that carry Box to Row. Those that listen to us on Sirius XM channels 141, 142, and 84. And those that listen to us around the world at BoxToRow.com. So let's talk about what we saw last week with respect to the NFL divisional round of the playoffs. Absolute excitement at this point. I'm 7-3. I was 7-0 when the Bengals won their football game. I'm like, I'm on a roll because I know, right? I never saw. I mean, it didn't even cross my mind to pick the 49ers over the Packers. It wasn't even about the 49ers, right? And, and, and I respect the 49ers. I like Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Everybody's saying it was done. I like Jimmy Garoppolo, but I never saw at all that – the Packers would lose to the San Francisco 49ers. So I never saw that coming. But, you know, when the Bengals won their game, I'm like, okay. And I, and I figured as much. And like I told you last week, I didn't really trust the Titans. I think it was 50-50 in terms of the way, for me, the Bengals were playing. Joe Burrow, Joe Cool Burrow. And I really didn't trust the Titans. And ultimately, the Bengals won 
uh, that football game. But, I mean, that was that. And, and you know, that was a close football game, right? Uh, ultimately, the Bengals able to pull it out with a field goal, right? And all these games, right, they all came down to either field – three of them came down to, eight, to field goals, and the other one was a touchdown in overtime. So I look at the Packers, and I'm telling you, Aaron Rodgers, like – I'm getting sick of and tired of Aaron Rodgers and all the talk regarding Aaron Rodgers. And you look at what happened last year or leading up to this season. And, you know, he was disgruntled and talked about walking away and not playing. And they were able to ultimately work it out. First game, obviously, I mean, just got crushed by New Orleans. But from then on, the Packers were really good. And the Packers were the best team in the National Football League, the most consistent team. And when I'm watching the 49ers and the Packers, and I'm just looking at this game, and I'm like, the 49ers are hanging around. And it gets a little bit dangerous for a team that's a number one seed when the other team, right, is just kind of hanging around and still around towards the end of the football game. And we know that the 49ers have a really, really good football team. Okay, ultimately... We can talk about what happened, what didn't happen. Uh, Ultimately, this falls at the feet of Aaron Rodgers, okay? Another opportunity for Aaron Rodgers to move on to the next round, and he doesn't get it done. We can talk about the special teams play. You can talk about the block field goal. You can talk about the block punt scoop and score for the touchdown late that ultimately tied the football game. But guess what? The Packers still had another opportunity after that, and Aaron Rodgers and company could not capitalize. This falls directly at the feet of Aaron Rodgers. He can talk all of this about he doesn't want to be part of a rebuild. And to me, in the post game, and, and certainly he 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 wasn't happy, obviously, about the loss and You know, I I mean, I'll give him credit for that. But this is where I stand. He's presenting a posture to me, especially when you listen to his postgame comments, like, you know, he's in charge. Listen, this is the Green Bay. If I'm the Packers, I take all of that into consideration. I get it. And they're going to have to sign a lot of guys. There's there's, you know, salary cap issues potentially. For Green Bay, right? So you can try to bring all of those guys. But I mean, the defense was really, really good, okay, this year. I thought it was really good. You got to figure out how you're going to re-sign Devontae Adams because he's probably going to be the highest paid wide receiver in the National Football League. And Rodgers is under contract. So I don't know. I mean, at this point, because we can run it back, but then we – we are going to have probably more than likely a really good season. And we're going to get right back to the point of the playoffs where we don't know what's going to happen, right? Aaron Rodgers in his illustrious career has won one Super Bowl. Okay. And did his legacy take a little bit of a hit after the loss on Saturday? Yeah, it did take a little bit of a hit because he's a guy now that with all the talent, had a great football team, 
really good offense. They got two running backs, good offensive line. He's got weapons outside of Devontae Adams to throw the football to. Aaron Rodgers still couldn't get it done. And that ultimately is the bottom line. So if I'm the Packers, depends on, you know, what we're able to do. I can't worry about Aaron Rodgers. It may be time to move on now to Jordan Love. It may be time to kind of take maybe, a, I, I don't want to say take a step back. Let's see what kind of uh, head coach Matt LaFleur really is, right? He should be, I mean, he's got Aaron Rodgers, Right. Let's see what kind of coach he really is. He's been able to coach this football team. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Jordan Love, the jury's still out on him to me. I don't think he was awful in the game that he played against the Chiefs. I didn't think he was awful at all. I think he showed some things. But listen, you know, maybe it's time to move on. And, and it just seems like, to me, Aaron Rodgers is doing very much what Brett Favre did some years back when the Packers ultimately selected Aaron Rodgers. And then you remember the whole saga started back in 2005, whether Brett Favre was going to play this year. It was just a mess. And this reminds me of that. And, you know, I don't know if I'm, I may have to cut bait ultimately if I am the Packers. Okay. Um, Listen, that Rams and Buccaneers game was unbelievable. I'm watching the game. I'm like, the Buccaneers are getting ready to get blown off the field. And we're about to, when it was, the score was 27, it was, it was a three, touch, I think it was three touchdowns and three two-point conversions. And the fumble happened right before the half. All right, that was a, that was a big play. A couple of big plays in this game ultimately allowed for the, for the Buccaneers to get back into this game. Tom Brady doing Tom Brady things to ultimately help bring the team back. And I'm going to tell you what, Matthew Stafford, and it's, it's a lot of – I picked the Buccaneers because I thought – and I think when you look at a talent perspective between the two teams, the Buccaneers and the Rams, I think the Rams have more talent. The Buccaneers are the defending champs. But some of it for me was the trust issue – and factor for me that I have with Matthew Stafford. That throw to Cooper Cup, which set up the field goal, was absolutely spectacular. We can talk about the play call. Uh, it, it looked to be uh, what they what they call zero coverage, meaning no safety deep, one-on-one, you're coming, you're bringing the house, and it looked like a couple of the players must have missed the call for the Buccaneers because everybody didn't rush. And I think if everybody rushes, it doesn't allow for Matthew Stafford to make that throw. Okay, but bottom line is Cup was open and beat him deep. That throw was on the money. Matthew Stafford really showed me something. And I, I mean, as the Buccaneers continued to come back, I was like, here we go again. But, I mean, with the Rams, like the Rams having these opportunities and not able to capitalize really showed me something. And then the Chiefs and the Bills, unbelievable football game man if you're the bills when they score with 13 seconds remaining i'm like oh game over i mean you can have you can have pat mahomes all you want this game is over and it ultimately was not three plays allowed for the chiefs to get in position to kick the 48 yard field goal to send it into overtime 
get the the Chiefs get the ball back, and then ultimately, uh, <laughs> Buffalo never got the ball. I, I, I'm not me personally about should the other team get the ball. It's professional football, all right. If you're the Bills, you got to stop those guys, and they ultimately could not do it. What a football game! I mean, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes going tit for tat. Ultimately, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs move on. We can talk about the Bengals-Chiefs. We can also talk about the 49ers and Rams. Up next here on Box to Row, going to be joined by Steve White of NFL Network. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer. The neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. For more information, Log on to their website at harlembeernc.com. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row. Box to Box to Box to Box to Row. Going to come here on Box to Row. We'll talk about the overtime rule. Should that rule, in fact, be changed in light of the fact that the Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen, didn't get an opportunity to score in overtime. Kansas City won it. I've got some thoughts on that, some definite and some definitive thoughts on that. I want to get your thoughts as a matter of fact. Hit me up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Should we change the overtime rule in the National Football League? Remember, it's professional football. I know we have different rules in college where you take it from the two, you have the, the coin toss, the winner generally will be the one to receive the ball last so they can see what their opponent does. And that works for college. But should the overtime rule ultimately be changed? And I'm going to ask Steve White this in a couple of moments. Should the overtime rule be changed so that both teams have an opportunity to score. Remember, the overtime rules were changed going back, I don't know what, 10 years ago from what it used to be in terms of sudden death where first team scores wins the game. They've obviously changed those rules a little bit, so we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Let's continue here on Box to Row. We're joined by a gentleman. You can see him uh, right there, Steve Weich of NFL Network. He's been doing this for a long time. He's a Howard grad. And, you know, we've had Steve on the program so many years, for so many years, probably at least 10 or 11 years. And we always talk about the National Football League. And we're going to talk about the National Football League. But we want to talk about Steve and some of the things he's doing, some of his great accomplishments in his career. He's got something really big that he's got going on. And it's in Inspire Chains a special spotlight. He's going to talk more about that, where that's going to air um, as well as he joins us here on Box to Row. What's going on, Steve? 
My man, Donald, I see you doing representing, you know, Shaw and Morgan. You got the Kobe jersey there. I love how you keep on representing. See, I'm in a hotel room. This is not my, this is not my crib, people. My wife would not decorate like this. <laughs> it's all good. Listen, you stay on the road. Matter of fact, so on Sunday, you were in Tampa, correct? Yep. Yep. So I was in Tampa for that great Rams-Buccaneers game. Um, what an incredible weekend we had on Division Around of Football. And then I'm doing a special project secret locations so i'm not going to tell you exactly where i am um but then but then this weekend i will be at the nfc conference championship game with the rams and 49ers back home in los angeles so yeah it's going to be a whirlwind week to say the least for me yeah and listen i mean like we're going to talk about you no question but i mean we got to talk i mean we got to talk a little bit of national football league right so i mean the games to your point were phenomenal all four uh this past weekend uh, most of them, for most of them, even going back to last weekend, have been pretty good. Um, I know there's a lot of talk about that Chiefs and Bills game and whether or not the Bills should have gotten another opportunity in overtime. We've already seen the the rule sort of amended from where it had been for many years in terms of now, if you score a touchdown, first to score a touchdown wins. Uh, the first team gets the ball, they they score a field goal, the other team can match, whatever. What are your thoughts? Should should there be an opportunity for the other team to get the ball? Well, look, I mean, look, most of the people squawking were probably either Bills fans or people <laughs> who wanted just to see more football because it was such an incredible finish between Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. But I'm not a big believer um, in anymore. First off, if you do this, if this happens in the regular season, you're you're putting more wear and tear on players' bodies. Now we're playing a 17 game season. So there's always that possibility. But let's just go to, like, the gamesmanship of it all, right? So you have this great game. It ends in a tie. um, And we see that, you know, the tilted slant, the team that wins, the coin flip tends to take the ball, right? At the beginning of games, teams tend to defer. So they they get the ball later. And, And so, you know, if a team goes down, they kick a field goal, like you said, then the other team gets the ball. But if they go down and score, then that's that. And a lot of times what you're finding, I don't know what the data is, but I'm just going to like a lot of games I watch, a lot of games I cover. When it goes to overtime, it's usually the team, like some team scores late, and maybe they've just gone on some type of drive where they've fatigued out the opposing defense. If they get the ball back, they're going right back at it. And they're going up against a fatigued defense. Now you could say, well, the offense is fatigued as well, but you know, momentum tends to drive these things and so, but I'm just a big believer in, I don't necessarily want more extended play for the health and health and safety of it. And frankly, if you can't stop a team on their first drive and hold them to a field goal, and remember, they only have to go like 40 yards before they hit a field goal. If you can't do that, then that's life, right? At some point, it's going to swing back in your favor. We're just at a point now where it's one and done instead of being able to come back next week and win another ball game. So I think that's why that that's magnified, but Let's not tweak the rules anymore because although some people are unsatisfied with the result, the result is the result. We saw one of the most incredible games that we've ever seen. Yeah, no question about it. So you were in Tampa on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Brady, is he, is he coming back to Tampa? Yeah, you know, you really don't know. I mean, you, you hear a lot of things like Brady's really mulling it, whereas before he was always kind of insistent. You know, hey, I'm going to play until I'm 45. Why am I going to stop playing when I know I can still play? And even he's kind of saying, I'm going to take some time to figure this out. But you also have to look at the the dynamic of the Buccaneers. You know, for two years, they went all in. You know, last year, they re-signed all these players. Well, now they're getting into New Orleans Saints 
territory when it comes to the salary cap hell situation. They're going to have to start letting some players go. This team is not going to be the veteran type of, of star-laden team that we saw this year because of all the big contracts. they got to start clearing the space um, just so they can build for the future. So Tom Brady might be like, you know, if Gronk's not coming back, you know, if I don't have some of these guys back, it might be time for me to walk. You know, who knows what his body is telling him, you know, also, you know, so yeah, Tom's had this, this, this unbelievable run of great health. He's 44. He's, he's the goat by far, no debate about it. Maybe he just might say, my body is telling me it is time. So we'll see. I don't, I don't think he's going to wait really, really long on this because, you know, the team's got to make some decisions before they get into free agency and as a deal for draft preparation. And with a lot of quarterbacks changing rosters this year, you know, if he's not going to play, he's got to let them get in the game. So I, I don't think this is going to take too long. Just like I don't think it's going to take too long for Aaron Rodgers uh, up in Green Bay to decide whether he want, he's going to say, look, why don't you trade me or I'm done playing or, hey, look, I want to come back and we'll, let's try to run it back one more time. Yeah, so, I mean, what are your thoughts? And this is the last thought on, 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 in, on the NFL. Your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers, particularly with the comments um, that he made, he didn't want to be part of it. I think maybe you have to listen to, the, I think, the, what he said in its context, but part of it was he doesn't want to be part of a rebuild. You know, they've got, a, they've got two, some players that they have to pay. Yeah, one of them being Devontae Adams, his top wide receiver, right? So he basically is saying... I restructured my deal in a certain way where I know I'm getting a huge chunk and it's going to make it tough to bring some of these players back. You know, you're going to have to cut some guys. I don't know if I want to go through it again, but then he also, you know, Aaron's smart, right? He's probably going to look at the landscape and say, well, if I ask to be traded to this team, that team or that team, is the situation better or is it worse? And if I want to play again, is it just for me just to kind of get out of green Bay or is it for me to try to establish my legacy like Peyton Manning did and win a second championship with a different team. So I think all those things come into play. And I'm sure these guys have been thinking about this, you know, already, this is not something that is, Oh, it just happened. Let me address the situation. So, you know, it's tough to tell. I mean, you talk to people on the league. They think Aaron's out, you know, they think he's going to be gone. Um, and the Packers will probably try and trade him to the AFC. You know, he's not going to go to the Vikings or any of those rival teams. Um, and as far as Tom, again, I mean, it's anybody's guess right now as to what he's going to do, but the fact he's actually mulling, um, his future, instead of saying, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back, I want to play to a certain age, I think it's left the door open for people to consider that he could retire. Steve Weich of NFL Network joins us here on Box to Row. He's been coming on the show for 11 years, at least he's a Howard grad. We want to talk more with Steve about him and some of the things he's accomplished in his outstanding career. So let me, let me, let me start here with that line of questioning. How ultimately and what made you decide to go to Howard University? Great question. You know, look, I, I grew up um, outside of St. Louis, suburban St. Louis, about 30, 35 miles outside of the city, predominantly white high school. I was one of the few black kids. And when I finished, I actually went to University of Missouri to play football. Um, so I was there for two years. Wasn't any good. You know, I got red shirted you know, I went in as like a 200, you know, I was a big for an outside linebacker in high school, 210 pounds, but that was the size of a DB uh, back when I went down there. So I need that red shirt year to put on the size, which I did. But then the coaches that brought us in got fired. Mm. Wow. <laughs> so the new guys, Woody Woodenhofer and that crew were like, you know, and they, and they were pretty honest. They were like, look, you, you, you know, you're not that great. And we're going to kind of, 
we're going to kind of build with some of our own recruits. And so if you want to transfer, you know, we'll help you get to where you want to go. And I had never considered an HBCU, even though both of my parents went to Hampton. You know, I never got recruited. And this is something that even kids today deal with. I never got recruited by a black school, not wow. one letter. Um, you know, again, St. Louis, there's only one HBCU west of the Mississippi River, and that's in Lincoln University in Jefferson City, Missouri. Um, so I guess a lot of HBCUs just didn't have the recruiting budget um, to even really come to St. Louis or pursue me, or they knew I was probably going to go to Kansas State or Missouri or a place like that. I don't know. Um but when I decided to transfer, you know, just a buddy of mine, you know, the, the one of the other black kids at my high school was like, you know, what, let's transfer to a black school. We've never had that experience. We'd be really good there, you know, with your size and what you've done at Missouri, you'd probably be an all conference player or whatever. And I was like, I never thought about it, but I'm down. So the next day, the next day after that conversation or after like a Thanksgiving break or something, I, um, applied to Hampton and Howard got accepted by both, but Willie Jeffries was the head coach at Howard then. And Willie had actually sent me letters when he was at Wichita state. You remember he was the first black right. coach at a division one, a program. And so we communicated, he's like, come on, I can't keep a scholarship right now. Um, but come on. And you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm all in let's go. And back then transfer rules were different. You had, I had to have six, was it 60? 60 credits to, to be able to get into Howard. So I had to finish out that whole spring semester at Missouri before I could have actually transferred into Howard University as a student. And so by the time I transferred in January, by the time we got to August to report, you know, to use football vernacular, I lost my stinger to play football. I was like, you know what? I always had to lift and eat a ton to get up to 230 pounds. I'm back down to about 220 more of my natural wait, I'm out. I'm going to go to Howard University and be a student and see what that's like. And it was the best decision, you know, I ever made besides uh, marrying my wife. So um, just everything about it was great, but just the, the decision to just completely throw grass in the wind and to see which direction it blew landed me at Howard. More with Steve White after this small pause for the cause. This is Box to Row. Steve White of NFL Network joins us here on Box to Row. We were talking about, of course, his time at Howard. And you know, Steve, you were there with who we had. We had Stan Verrett on the yep. on the program. And, and Stan just that, and I grad, we graduated together. We're in the same yeah, class. Yeah, it's great. I mean, and you think about just the excellence, right? Because I'm, I'm sure you were. I'm sure you all were broadcast communications or whatever broadcast journalism, journalism, whatever it's called. But then you think about, I don't know if you were there at the same time, but you think of just the, you know, the P. Diddy's of the world, the, yeah. you know, Lazalonzo's yeah. and all of these people that are in not only the television field, but just the, the uh, entertainment field, all that went to Howard University. Well, Wendy Raquel Robinson was there with Stan and I, but, you know, I was a print major. Remember, I was a longtime newspaper That's guy right. before I got into TV. Yeah. And so, but like in our cluster, just some recognizable names. Frederica Whitfield, who was like, you know, from CNN, she was like a year or two ahead of Stan and I. But then Michelle Miller, who's on CBS this morning, she was with Stan and I. Gus Johnson, who calls games on Fox, he was a year or two behind Stan and I. And there's a, a ton of big newspaper, you know, print people. And like I said, Winnie Raquel Robinson and, and a lot of um, other people have gone on Puffy, 
Puffy was only there for like a semester, right? He came in <laughs> and got an internship at Uptown Records and he went, went ahead and did his thing. But yeah, man, we were there like during a really good time. And that's when Howard's journalism school was kind of in its, I won't say infancy, but it was in its, you know, kind of in an uptick. And we just had professors who pushed us, man. I mean, we had some great teachers who, who really drilled us. Um, we had opportunities back then. I had an opportunity to work at the Washington Post for a year covering high school sports while I was the editor of the student newspaper. You know, Stan did overnight radio on one of the biggest FM R&B stations in D.C. So the fact we were there at Howard and those opportunities were there for us to really cut our teeth in the real world while we were students allowed us to really excel for the most part coming out of the gate. No question. Of course, uh, Steve Weiss joining us here on the program. It's interesting because uh, being from Washington, uh, the first time the first time I knew about you was reading your byline in the Washington Post. Yep. I mean, and you got to the Washington Post in a relatively short amount of time, all things considered. Washington Post is one of the leading newspapers in the world with yep. one of the best sports departments there is. Yeah, I mean, I was there with when Michael Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser, Rachel Nichols. I mean, our, our staff was loaded. Ken Denlinger, Sally Jenkins. And I was covering the NBA then. Remember, when you were reading me, I was, I was covering when Michael Jordan came to join the Washington Wizards. You know, I'd been down to Miami. I started out my first job in Richmond, Virginia. Like I think Stan's first job or one of his first jobs is in Newport News or Norfolk, Virginia. But I was in Richmond, Virginia for a year and a half and I, and I loved every day um, I was down in Richmond. Just loved that city and loved the people there. And then went to Miami for almost 10 years and covered the whole gamut from high school sports to pro boxing. Uh, to the, I was the backup beat writer for the Dolphins. You know, there were two of us on the beat. You know, for Don Shula's last couple of years and Jimmy Johnson's first couple of years. And then I went on to cover the Miami Heat back in the first iteration of playoff teams with Tim Hardaway and Alonzo Mourning and Dan Marley and, and that whole group. And from there, that's how I got to Washington um, to cover some bad Wizards teams, man. Some <laughs> horrible, some bad basketball. And then the whole, the whole MJ phenomenon was just insane. And then, then I left there. And went down to Atlanta, Atlanta General Constitution, to cover the NFL. And then the whole Michael Vick dogfighting thing broke. And that's when I got a lot of television exposure, you know, doing interviews on CNN and all these different other networks, NFL Network, and ESPN. And ESPN actually hired me part-time for about six months, eight months before the NFL Network was like, we're going to offer him a job. And, you know, back in 08, that's when I signed on. Yeah, and you're lo you're loving. I mean, you're loving the uh, the TV. I mean, do you misprint any? I, I miss the writing element of it. I don't miss the deadlines. <laughs> right. I don't miss the deadlines, and, and it's so much tougher now for print journalists because you know back when I was coming up, newspapers were king, right? Every other media outlet would read what was happening that morning in the paper and kind of base their coverage that day off of what the newspaper drove. Well, once since newspapers have really kind of been folded into a digital product that you're constantly updating, a lot of the really good print journalists are now doing the broadcast stuff, or they're working for major outlets like The Athletic and things like this. So if you're a beat writer or a beat reporter, you know, and let's say you're covering the Rams because I live in L.A., and then I come in just for one day, I parachute in for a day or two, and because of all of the resources I built up for my time in the NFL, and I'll talk to certain people on a team, I'm going to get some information that they're not going to get. 
just because of my connections and, and things like that. So, you know, it looks bad for them the next day when I come out with something that they couldn't get for every day there. And that happens all over the place just because, again, so many of the longtime print journalists are doing national stuff right now. And we're far more plugged in because we've done it for a long time. And these are things we used to do on the beat. You know, we used to lock onto a beat for, I remember, you know, guy like Lenny Pascarelli in Atlanta was on the beat for 30 years and was untouchable. You know, Chris Morton was a longtime newspaper guy, was untouchable. But um, I miss the writing aspect of it to a degree. And I still do some writing, but uh, I, I just love the, the broadcast part of it because that's how we're engaging. You know, remember, Don, a couple of years ago, we were doing interviews like this over the phone. Now the visual aspect of it is we can welcome people. You can welcome them into your studio right there. I, I'm welcoming into my hotel room <laughs> right now. And we can have a conversation. And, and, and that's what I really, really like. Yeah, it's all about the conversation. Steve White of NFL Network joins us here on the program. So I'm watching. I forget which game. I think it may have been the, it may have been the Rams and uh, and Tampa game. And I, I'm looking and I've seen you on NFL Network and you and I go back many years, but it's different. When you, I see your, you know, Fox has those caricatures. Oh, it's on the Packers Niners games. Packers Niners. Yes, and I see, and it, and it, and it, and it. They mentioned you. I'm like, man, that's really cool. So it's the Inspire Change special. Tell us about it, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So this this Saturday on Fox, I believe at 11 a.m. Eastern, and then it's going to eventually air, you know, a couple more times, and, and on NFL Network and some other outlets. I am. Um, hosting it's a great special it's a very well produced we've already recorded it it's a show highlighting a lot of the community work that nfl players have done whether it's on the social justice front whether it's on the education front whether it's on community development front but players like you know eric kendricks linebacker for the vikings uh you know he does a great piece like it's the aftermath of george floyd of what he did in Minneapolis, because of course George Floyd was murdered there, and how he connected with the community through a group there. Or Cam Jordan down in New Orleans, how he works with a lot of kids and, and police departments there. And it's a really unique look. It's not just your boilerplate, let's go on a ride with a cop type thing. It is a really engaging program that he works with um, and that he funds and things like this to get people involved. So again, there's, there's five or six players and this is highlighting them, right, in the work that they sincerely do because almost all of these NFL players do positive work in the community. And, again, this is just a special to highlight the work. And it is not just showing their faces. The work that they do to try to balance the scales, to heighten awareness, and to try to make their communities better. And, and, and I could not be more proud of our production team who put this together and the players themselves who, again, put together their time and their you'll see the sincerity um, in this piece of these players on how much it means to them to really, really help people try to make a difference. And again, this is not boilerplate football camp, things like that. Nothing wrong with that. This is people getting into the guts of people's souls to try to make them understand and to educate Again, how you can make life a little bit more fair and balanced for everybody. And with all the things you're doing, you still, you're a Howard guy, an HBCU guy, you're still doing 
tremendous work and a lot of work still with HBCUs. At 100%. I mean, that's, that's really, look, as we age, you know, look, as, as we're on the come up, we're in our 20s and 30s, it's all about, okay, what, what's, what's the next step for me career-wise? What's the next step for me? And now I see all of these young people coming up, like, my goals now, my, you know, I, I love what I'm doing. I don't want to stop doing it anytime soon. But now I've got a platform to amplify black college athletics, right? And, you know, black college football in particular to do things like, you know, I'm on the selection committee for the black college football hall of fame. And when we discuss, okay, let's, how can we have a showcase all-star game to give players an opportunity to be seen by NFL teams so we can stop this drought of players not being drafted by NFL teams. So you come up with an idea, Doug Williams and Shaq Harris and some of the people from the Black House Football Hall of Fame, let's do something in New Orleans where everybody wants to go. We can get all the scouts there and let's come up with a legacy bowl. Okay, so they approach it to me. I, I pitched to the NFL Network. Hey, let's broadcast this game. Let's show that we are committed to HBCUs. Let's not just give them a platform. Let's put some money behind it. And let's get some other sponsors behind it to the Black College Football Hall of Fame. And let's give these kids an opportunity, a full week like the Senior Bowl, to show NFL scouts, CFL scouts, XFL scouts, USFL scouts, that they deserve opportunities. Because, sure, a lot of the great black talent is going to Georgia and Alabama and this and that. But you cannot tell me. The fact that only one player from an HBCU has been drafted the past two years, that only one player has been invited to the regular NFL scouting combine from an HBCU over the past two years, that that is just, but that that's really just true. There's talent at HBCU football, and I love it now that more and more blue chip talent are going to Jackson State and Grambling, and these guys in a transfer portal going to Southern and Arkansas Pine Bluff and a lot of these programs where they can showcase their skills on that level, and now TV's coming, and more's coming to broadcast those games, to showcase the rich history that HBCUs have brought the NFL, but now can bring the NFL. Man, very well said. And again, the special. So the special is what, this Sunday during the um, NFC Championship? Uh, I want to say it is – it's an hour-long special that is airing Saturday, I Saturday. believe, okay. 30th. I don't have a calendar in front of me on Fox, and it will later run on NFL Network. That airing date has not been set. But, yes, on Fox this Saturday, exactly. um, the day before <laughs> the conference championships air. Awesome. Definitely check that out. Of course, you can follow him uh, on Twitter. He's the one and only Steve White joining us here on Box to Row. Steve, always appreciate you, man, and continued success in all you do. Well, keep doing your thing, Donald. Appreciate you and you raising awareness and educating all the time. That's what's important. Appreciate you, Steve. Steve White of NFL Network joining us here. And that special NFL Inspire Change is going to air on Fox this Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern. This Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern. That's 8 Pacific time. So check it out. Known Steve for many years. Matter of fact, during the Black College All-Star game, football game, back in 2011 in Atlanta, we hosted the Box to Row All-American Awards as part of that and be our MC. He was happy to do it, didn't charge us a dime, and that's the kind of guy that Steve White is doing some big things on NFL Network. More Box to Row on the other side. 
Hello, my name is Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timlake Roll, founder of Marjorie Sweet Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every one million orders that we receive, our company is giving two million dollars away to the bottom of 400 of our paid customers. You see, that's the way we roll. So come place an order at Marjorie's Beef Jerky. It's Donald Ware, from the press box to press row. So if you hadn't heard, the Hampton Athletics program is moving from the Big South to the CAA. Yes, Hampton moving from the Big South to the CAA was announced at a press conference on Wednesday. There's been a lot of talk about that happening. And generally, there's talk something like that is going to happen. As a matter of fact, in reading the accounts, from the Pilot Online, which is the newspaper in Norfolk, Virginia. This was something, in reading some of Dr. Uh, President Harvey's quotes, who is the president of Hampton, has been the president of Hampton for 35 years, as a matter of fact, retiring this year. This is something that he has been trying to make happen for quite some time. And when you look at this thing from a footprint standpoint, first of all, let me say uh, this. I'm glad Hampton did it this way. Now, remember, going back to the 2016 season, remember how Hampton did the MEAC, told the MEAC in November that it planned to move and to make the move for the following following year, meaning for the 17, to start the 17 athletic season. And that's just not the way you do things. Ultimately, the two sides agreed Hampton paid the fine. But again, to make that move, I mean, I'm, I'm going to reiterate that because when that happened, that that was really bad on Hampton's part to inform a conference. You're supposed to let a conference know by June 30th of the previous year if you intend to make a move like that. Hampton makes the makes the announcement in November. Total disrespect to the MEAC. So Hampton did it the right way, all right? Hampton did it the right way this time around. So kudos to Hampton for, I guess, learning from, uh, I suppose, from learning from its mistakes. When you talk about a footprint, okay, because when Hampton made the move from the MEAC to the Big South, and again, it's just, it's the landscape of college athletics. And we can talk as much as we want about a Texas and Oklahoma making the move from the Big 12 to the SEC. We, we can talk about that all day. At the end of the day, these the, the it's a change in college athletics as a whole because you're going to have some FCS programs that are going to move up. Now, of course, they're not necessarily or they're not going to move to Power 5 conferences Uh, For instance, and we'll talk more about this, uh, you look in the Big South in of itself, Monmouth uh, is one of the schools that's making the move out of the Big South, okay, Uh, which is a whole nother conversation that we'll have today on the program. But you look at the footprint, look at the schools. James Madison is in the CAA. Uh, Richmond is in the CAA. William and Mary 
is in the CAA. Then if you, you know, you want to go up north a little bit, uh, you can look at Delaware, Towson, not terribly far. So this makes more sense to me from a footprint standpoint in terms of Hampton making the move and Dr. Harvey, uh, much like what was mentioned with A&T when A&T said it was going to make the move from the big from the MEAC to the Big South, student-athlete welfare. That's what we heard a lot about and even uh, f- from the Hampton press conference. And that makes a lot of sense, okay, for the, for the reasons I mentioned. James Madison, right? William & Mary's right up the road. James Madison is in Harrisonburg, Virginia, which isn't terribly far. Uh, and then, of course, Richmond is about maybe uh, – it's like an hour, like an hour and some change, something like that. So that makes sense. You know, not terribly far. Townsend is in Baltimore. Um, you know, Delaware's not terribly far. That makes sense to me. Okay, good. Uh, good deal for Hampton right there. I don't blame them. But, you know, I think in part, you look at what's happening with respect also to the Big South. Monmouth is leaving. The Big South. Okay. North Alabama was in the Big South for, in essence, a cup of coffee. And now it's leaving. Kennesaw State leaving the Big South to join the A Sun. So your remaining schools in the Big South, if I have this correctly, North Carolina AT, Robert Morris, Charleston Southern, Campbell. And Gardner-Webb, five schools remain in the Big South. Now, from my understanding, you need to have six schools in a conference to receive the automatic qualifier for the FCS playoffs. And that doesn't even count how many schools you need to have to receive the automatic qualifier for the the tournaments, the, the basketball tournaments, uh, right? So, but the NCAA uh, does grant... And generally, I would think in this situation with respect to the Big South with only five schools would grant some kind of waiver because it it's happened all of a sudden because Hampton, you, you already knew Monmouth and Kennesaw State uh, were leaving. But Hampton, that was a bit of a surprise. So I'm sure the uh, or would think at least that the NCAA would grant uh, some kind of waiver to the Big South, which may be a great opportunity ultimately uh, for North Carolina A&T, which is where I want to transition to now because immediately when the announcement was officially made that Hampton was leaving to join the CAA, my mind immediately turned to North Carolina A&T. Not because from an HBCU perspective, meaning you lose an HBCU school or a like school within that conference. It's not about that. A&T and Hampton don't have a rivalry, okay? So it's not about that at all as much as it's about, well, A&T was the new kid on the block in the Big South. And by the way, the Big South was promising. You had Campbell, who just came into the conference uh, as an official member this year. I mean, there were supposed to be eight or nine football playing, well, well, eight or nine football playing institutions. Of course, there's more institutions in the Big South uh, than just the football ones. You go from like nine 
schools to now five, all right? And, I mean, you can also say, well, what does that mean for Charleston Southern? What does it mean for Gardner-Webb? What does it mean for all of the schools uh, that play football that still remain in the Big South? Robert Morris, Campbell, et cetera. Well, specifically, as it relates to A&T, because remember, the A, as you know, as you all know or may not know if you don't listen to this program or if you're not a follower of HBCU Sports, A&T left the MEAC where it was a founding member, okay? A&T was a founding member of the MEAC to come and join the Big South. A lot of what was said was because of student-athlete welfare, right? Less travel, which I guess in a lot of respect, in some respects is true, although uh, it, it's a mute point now, but the trip uh, from Mon- uh, to Monmouth and North Alabama were as far as trips to Delaware State and to uh, Tallahassee, uh, right? When you're talking about in the landscape of the MEAC, of course, uh, the MEAC, uh, after A&T left, I don't think the MEAC saw where Florida A&M and then Bethune-Cookman were going to leave the MEAC. So if you're North Carolina A&T, what move do you make now? Now, we know that what was on the table was that the MEAC was entertaining joining a number, possibly a number of different conferences uh, prior to actually joining the Big South. And this was a five-year process uh, to get to the point where ultimately A&T did leave uh, the MEAC. So are there some others out there? I mean, the natural question would be, do you go back to the MEAC? Well, I don't, I don't, I mean, that, that would be the easy thing to do. Uh, I, I, because the MEAC is, is uh, the MEAC is solid. The MEAC is solid basketball, football. MEAC is solid. I think the issue is because of the reason that, and, and A&T won't say this, but you know, there, there was, there was a reason more than just student athlete welfare that I think, and we had Earl Hilton on the show, uh, shortly after it was announced that A&T was going to leave the uh, MEAC to join the Big South back in uh, back in 2020. Uh, now, they won't, you know, they're not going to say that, but, I mean, you know, there are some things probably that they looked at and said, well, you know, the a- a- the um, MEAC maybe not as progressive as they would like for it to be ultimately. So I don't think that's an option. I know the MEAC is still looking at some other schools, six uh, football-playing institutions, eight schools overall. That would be the easy choice. I don't think that's going to happen. So where would ultimately A&T go? Now, again, A&T said it was leaving more so for student-athlete welfare. So, I mean, you, you couldn't – it wouldn't make sense to go to the CAA, although I don't even think the CAA – I mean, C, the CAA could have, what, 13, uh, 13 football schools? It's a lot of schools, Right. I mean, could you do something like go to the Sunbelt Conference where an app state is? Because, again, it, it was talked about that A&T was looking at some FBS conferences. Well, I mean, let's just look at the Sunbelt, for example. I mean, yeah, app state is, is relatively close, as is Coastal Carolina. Georgia State is not terribly far, right? Troy probably not Georgia Southern either. But then what about Louisiana, Texas State, South Alabama, Louisiana, Monroe? Arkansas State, so it wouldn't fit the narrative of student-athlete welfare and travel, 
from an academic standpoint, although you now move up to an FBS level, which, I mean, you know, maybe it's more exposure. I mean, that's, to me, that's, I mean, it is. I mean, you're going to get more money from TV contracts, things of that nature, but, you know, you got to really build up to that level. I don't, A&T is not ready, I don't think, to make a move to the FBS level. So it's interesting. I mean, do other, uh, what is the Big South going to do? The Big South, is it entertaining looking? It's got to be entertaining looking at other schools. Could the MEAC and the Big South join forces? Could they join forces? That's something to also look at. Six schools in the MEAC, five in the Big South. To me, that probably makes the most sense. And if you're A&T, you, you, just, you're, you, you are where you are. And I don't know, you know, outside of going back to the MEAC, ultimately what more. A&T could do. So it's interesting. A ripple effect where Hampton makes the move to the CAA, which is a great move for Hampton, an excellent move, also affects a lot of schools in the Big South, specifically A&T. What does A&T do now? And, again, don't look at that. Let's, let's, let's keep that on the table. Big South, MEAC joining forces. Let's see ultimately what could happen. I want to remind you about a project we're working on called Radio Boss. Some of the great conversations that we've had on Box to Roll over the years, going way back, way, way back, can now be found in our vault on our website, radio-boss.com. Some great conversations. Radio-boss.com. It is our new project here at Box to Roll, and it is called Radio Boss would like for you to check it out. I got to get ready to run here on Box the Road. Thank you to Steve Weich of NFL Network for joining us on the program. Don't forget to check out his special Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern on Fox. For more information on the program, log on to our website, boxtorow.com. And always remember to support those that support your Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM is produced. Fighty W Communication.